You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So earlier this week, I had the privilege of traveling to the frozen tundra of the upper Midwest to deliver a state of the unions, so to speak, to a large group of managers and executives. And I mentioned this only due to the fact that I returned last evening to thaw out and in time for President Biden's state of the union address. Now, Unlike some of you, I typically don't watch the State of the Union addresses, and I didn't want to waste time last night watching it either. I find watching politicians, right or left, just raises my blood pressure. However, before some of you criticize me for not watching the State of the Union address last night, you should know that I did listen to it in its entirety on C-SPAN this morning as I was preparing the News Digest for the LaborUnionNews.com subscribers. And frankly, I was somewhat surprised at its somewhat benign messaging, and that was wasn't it wasn't more riddled with pro union rhetoric. I was frankly expecting President Biden to say, you know, I'm the most pro union president in the history of the United States, or whatever he usually says. In fact, about the only overt mention of unions that I heard was in this section of the speech. This is bound to get a response from my friends on my left with the right. I'm so sick and tired of companies breaking the law by preventing workers from organizing. Pass the PRO Act, because business have a right, workers have a right to form a union. Let's guarantee all workers have a living wage. Let's make sure working parents can afford to raise a family with sick days, paid family medical leave, affordable childcare, Millions of more people to go and stay at work. And let's restore the full child tax credit, which gave tens of millions of parents some breathing room and cut child poverty in half to the lowest level in history. So that was it. That was really the only time I heard the U word mentioned. And with regard to the State of the Union address, knowing that the PRO Act is effectively dead until 2025, and it's wholly dependent on the outcome of the 2024 elections, President Biden's comments were just sort of paying homage to his union homies, so to speak, and their political causes without expressly mentioning them, except for that one clip. So while there are all sorts of guests at the State of the Union, like AFL-CIO President Liz Schuler, California Labor Federation head Lorena Gonzalez, and even Bono was there, There is one individual who is conspicuously absent, and that was Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh, who was the, coincidentally, the designated survivor who is stowed away in some bunker somewhere. And this could be why Walsh was absent. While President Biden was delivering the State of the Union address, there's another story that's possibly bigger news for employers and their employees, as well as the 59 million Americans who do freelance work or gig work. And that is the story that's been brewing for the last week, that Labor Secretary Marty Walsh is out the door. 
So last week, it was rumored that Labor Secretary Marty Walsh, the former head of the building trades unions in Massachusetts, the former mayor of Boston, and now the current Secretary of Labor, is being considered or was being considered for the job of executive director for the National Hockey League's Players Association, which is a union. Well, yesterday, even as President Biden was preparing his State of the Union address, it appears that Secretary Marty Walsh is taking the job. This is from the Daily Faceoff. Quote, sitting U.S. Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh, will be formally installed, formally installed as the next executive director of the NHL Players Association in the coming days following Tuesday night's State of the Union address by President Joe Biden. Sources tell Daily Faceoff. Walsh was unable to leave his government post until after attending the president's annual joint session speech in Congress. Walsh, 55, was presented as the NHLPA's search committee's top choice for the job during an executive board meeting held in Miami last Friday. The former mayor of Boston introduced himself virtually via Zoom to the 32-member executive board, which then greenlit Walsh to move to the next stage of the process, including negotiating an employment contract. Walsh is expected to earn in the range of $3 million U.S. annually and live in Boston with no requirement to move Toronto, where the Players Association is headquartered, end quote. So the guy who earned his his bona fides, so to speak, in the Boston Union movement, built his political career on those union bona fides, is leaving politics to take a $3 million per year job, and likely more, representing hockey players. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies cuts through and captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all of its forms. Greed for life, for money, for love, knowledge has marked the upward surge of mankind and greed you mark my words will not only save Teldar paper but that other malfunctioning corporation called the USA. Thank you very much. So Marty Walsh's choice seems to have come down to a stay at the Department of Labor and help the working class, those blue collar workers, the 99 percent, so to speak, or or B, go make millions of dollars and join the one percent. And at the moment, it sounds like he's made his choice. So assuming Walsh skates off to make his millions of dollars off of hockey players union dues, that's going to leave a vacancy at the top of the U.S. Department of Labor. And more importantly, raises the question of who's going to fill Marty Walsh's empty chair. However, unless there's a dark horse out there that no one's guessing, say Lorena Gonzalez, for example, a top contender would seem to be the current Deputy Secretary of Labor, Julie Sue. According to her bio at the Department of Labor, which I'm going to abbreviate here, prior to joining the U.S. Department of Labor, Deputy uh, Deputy Secretary Sue served as the Secretary for the California Labor and Workforce Development Agency. The LWDA enforces 
workplace laws, combats wage theft, ensures health and safety on the job, connects Californians to quality jobs and career pathways, and administers unemployment insurance, workers' compensation, and paid family leave. As California's Labor Commissioner from 2011 through 2018, Sue enforced the state's labor laws to ensure a fair and just workplace for both employees and employers. In 2014, she launched the first, quote, Wage Theft is a Crime, multimedia, multilingual, statewide campaign to reach out to low-wage workers and their employers to help them understand their rights and feel safe speaking up about labor law abuses. Sue is known and this is kind of key, for pioneering a multi-strategy approach that combines successful impact litigation with multiracial organizing, community education, policy reform, coalition building, and media work. Now that's from her bio on the Department of Labor. However, there's another part of Julie Sue that most Americans, unless they live in California, would not know, and that is Julie Sue is an anti-independent contractor advocate or anti-freelancer or anti-gig economy advocate. She does not like anti uh, she does not like the gig economy, she does not like freelancers. And as many of you know, and we've done several episodes on this on Labor Relations Radio, California is the petri dish of bad ideas. Among those ideas is AB5. That is a bill that essentially destroys the gig economy. And the ABC test that is that is the bulk of AB5 is built into the PRO Act. Now, joining me today is Karen Anderson. She is an independent contractor in California who leads freelancers against AB5 which is a Facebook group of more than 18,000 freelancers and gig workers from all walks of life. I asked Karen to come on to Labor Relations Radio as she can, she can shed some light on Julie Sue's record in trying to destroy the gig economy in California. And Sue, who's now the Deputy Secretary of Labor, may become our next Secretary of Labor throughout the United States. So here's Karen Anderson. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Karen Anderson, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Peter, for having me on. So it would be helpful to let folks know a little bit about your background and how you got into this fight against the ABC test or AB5. Well, I'm a third-generation native Californian, and I've been a freelancer, independent contractor for many, many years as a writer, editor, and photographer. And back in 2019, a law called AB5, a bill, actually, AB5, Assembly Bill 5, got passed in California that severely restricts independent contracting across all professions. And it includes the uh, infamous ABC test, which is very hard to pass unless you have an exemption. And and so I started a group and uh, wanted to connect with all of the different types of professions that are impacted by it, not just the usual ones that you read about in the in the headlines which would be you know quote unquote gig workers such as rideshare drivers and and such i mean it ab5 impacts so many professions and career professionals and uh just across the board we, we've identified 600 categories of professions that have been impacted in some way by ab5 negatively 
Um, and so it was just a debacle uh, from beginning to end. It started in 2018 when the California Supreme Court established the ABC test in, in relation to the dynamics um, decision. Uh, but it was for, it applied to wage orders and then AB5 uh, under Lorena Gonzalez, who's an assemblywoman, uh, along with unions and her lawyers crafted this, you know, Frankenstein of a bill that expanded it beyond the wage orders to include all provisions of the, um, you know, the labor code, unemployment insurance code and, and, and everything else. So it was just a complete nightmare and it continues to impact, um, you know, independent contractors, uh, licensed professionals, um, you know, community theater, uh, interpreters, translators, uh, career professionals, you name it, anybody, anybody under the sun. And uh, the, the worst part about it is, is how it impacts the business, the hiring entity that <clears throat> supposedly misclassifies an independent worker. <clears throat> they, they get fined, don't they? Oh, you can, if you get audited, you can be subject to an incredible, uh, massive, massive amounts of fines and penalties and back back pay, back wages, wage theft, all of it. It's just, they it could put you out of business if you make a mistake with an independent contractor. And uh, that brings us to Julie Sue, uh, who was the, um, she's now the Deputy Secretary of Labor for the Biden administration, but she was the um, she was the uh, secretary of I guess you were, let's see she was she headed the state's labor and workforce development agency under Newsom from 2018 to March 2021 when she was appointed by Biden to be deputy secretary. So now she's in line to be secretary because Marty Walsh is is retiring to to go on to greener pastures. Much greener is. Uh... Reportedly, his new job, if if assuming he takes it, um, is going to be about three million dollars a year. Yes, so. I read that. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty pretty greener pastures. I'd say so. So yeah, she was appointed deputy secretary of labor for USDL DOL in March of 2021, and she was confirmed that July by the Senate, but. As usual, Californians failed. These failed leaders in California get rewarded with um, upward mobility in politics. And she was coming off just horrific debacles going on prior to the pandemic and during the pandemic, you know. And uh, and she has about for independent contractors. So AB five um, it passed in the latter part of 2019 in the California legislature, Newsom signed it and it took effect literally January 1st, 2020 as California and the rest of the world for that matter was going into the pandemic, right? Correct. Shutting down. And in my group, just hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of horror stories came pouring in, you know, from all across the political spectrums and all across all professions and people were losing their livelihoods and careers overnight. And it was really, really horrendous and heartbreaking. And it was such a, so many people were blindsided and you had, I mean, there were life-threatening situations of, you know, family care caregivers who had to flee the state in order to continue to, you know, um, earn an income as an independent contractor while taking care of their family members, sick loved one. 
you know, <laughs> theaters, community theaters closing right, left, and center, and uh, musicians just not. I mean, it was even just gig, gigging musicians, bands were being put out of business by AB5, bar bands and bands that play in restaurants. And it was just a complete and total cluster of a disaster. Let me let me ask you a quick question. Um, so a lot of this, again, was coinciding with the shutting down of the economy, you know, in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. Bars closing, restaurants closing, you know, theaters closing. As the economy in California started opening back up, have any of these former gig workers gotten their gigs back or is it still like they're not being able to get hired? Well, what happened was Lorena Gonzalez, the author of the bill had to come up with a cleanup bill later that year. So a lot of these people that had lost work had to wait nine months to, to gain an exemption. But the mythology around the exemptions is that they were that, you know, they, they, they're complete exemptions and, Really, they a lot of them come with smoke and mirrors, but some people regain their 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 careers, and other people were rejected by clients and terminated by clients, never to return again. So, um, you know, it it really depends on the specific uh, profession. the the um, the bill uh, the cleanup bill is like what four thousand five thousand words long, so you really have to just wade through it and figure out who's exempt and who's got a partial exemption or how many hoops you have to jump through in order to to get an exemption and and um the pandemic was just a perfect storm of of horror for people stuck at home they not in California not being able to work remotely but not being able to go out in the work workplace either during the shutdown so well yeah. like like a writer like yourself if you had clients from across the country who wanted you to write a piece or something like that um, and I just recall this with Vox because they terminated their writers in California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The freelance writers. Well, they got a lot of headlines right at first and yeah, uh, the, uh, Lorena Gonzalez had imposed this cap of 30, 35 submissions a year, uh, on a writer, um, before they would have to be made an employee. And so that would, you know, a columnist, for example, Willie Brown used to be uh, the mayor of San Francisco. No, wait, what's Willie Brown? Yeah, he was the columnist. Uh, And after, you know, there's 52 weeks in a year, right? Well, when he reached his halfway mark, the San Francisco Chronicle had to shut him down, you know, and he started screaming about unions and, and the BS that was going on with AB5 and he was one Democrat that actually spoke out about it. But, um, yeah, eventually writers got that cap lifted, but other little caveats were imposed on that particular exemption. So it comes with like seven different requirements that you have to jump through. And most writers can got their, if they didn't lose their client permanently, um, they're able to continue to work uh, freelance but the problem is, is that AB5 creates this sort of um, chilling effect where people, businesses and hiring entities don't want to touch you anyways, whether you have a pathway to an exemption or not, because there's too many risks involved. So people are still, people who are, have, have exemptions still are losing their clients or, or getting terminated. Right. So I guess, um, and I've raised this point a few times, the problem, so in California, you had exemptions that were 
were made after the bill was passed. Mm-hmm. If you have, and we we're talking before I hit the record button about the uh, president's state of the union last night, how he touched on the pro act. The problem with the pro act is when you go to a federal law like that, you're not going to be able to go in and like after the fact post, you know, post passage, put in all these types of exemptions. It's going to be a federal law that hits everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't come with any exemptions at all. So what are they going to do? They're going to do the same scorched earth policy making that happened in California that created so much chaos and anguish for so many people and the sausage making after the fact. Well, are they going to appoint an exemption czar? Who would they appoint? Lauren and Gonzalez, who was at the state of the union address last night as a guest of representative Katie Porter. So she's, you know, she is now, you know, head of California labor federation and she's mingling with, um, you know, folks in Washington and the Biden administration. And she's touting Julie Sue as the next, uh, Labor Secretary, she's jumping up and down, tweeting about it. And yeah, so she, and, she and Julie Sue were, Sue were in cahoots with AB5 and all of this, you know, um, attack on independent contractors and bait and switch against businesses that hire independent contractors. Explain that a little bit, because um, Julie Sue, she was basically the government entity or arm to impose AB5, right? When she was in right. California? Enforcement of AB5. She's the head of the EDD, which is the California Employment Development Department. Um, And so uh, they're the ones that go after hiring entities for alleged misclassification violations. So, um, but but the EDD under her leadership is just a failed department. It's just completely dysfunctional. Um, Prior to the pandemic, they failed to update their outdated system even though California had set aside $30 million for modernization efforts more than four years earlier, and the update never made it out of the planning stages. And during the pandemic, of course, the system crumbled because of all the, um, you know, overwhelming calls coming in. And she also failed to remedy the privacy safeguards of of millions and millions of, of Californians. So, you know, millions of pieces of mail with fully exposed social security numbers were sent out to incorrect addresses and an audit mm. audit asked the EDD under Julie Sue to change its practices and remove those numbers, but she ignored the request and 38 million more pieces of mail continue to be sent out. And so that thus you have this whole uh, scenario ripe for fraud during the pandemic when people were making, you know, uh, fraudulent, um, Claims and uh, I think the total now under her leadership was like thirty six point two billion dollars uh, in fraudulent claims were paid out to criminals and cartels and people who are behind bars and people on death row and people out of out of state out of the country and and it's it's just was a complete debacle and and so when that. When they started to uncover the fraud, she then had to freeze 1.4 million unemployment accounts in the state, uh, leaving Calif- legitimate Californians' claims uh, not being able to be fulfilled. You know, they didn't. They um, so there was this massive backlog, and mixed income earners, you know, particularly had a problem. The people that had both 1099s and W2s, and and uh, then they started stonewalling on the pandemic unemployment assistance you know, which was from the feds that would allow uh, independent contractors to receive some kinds of, you know, um, uh, unemployment benefits because independent contractors are not 
um, eligible for unemployment insurance benefits. But Julie Sue, and we have copies of her tweets along with Lorena Gonzalez, were tweeting at independent contractors in general to ignore PUA and sign up for unemployment insurance benefits instead as a bait-and-switch tactic so that they could ensnare these businesses because if an independent contractor uh, inadvertently signs up for unemployment insurance and names their, their client as an employer, then it trigger, it's an automatic, it triggers an automatic audit by EDD on the hiring entity. So these are the Which kinds back of shenanigans that have been happening. Yeah, yeah and that's, that's your chilling effect. You know, you mentioned the fraud, and um, I recall, I, I didn't watch the State of the Union, but I listened to it this morning. He mentioned fraud and, you know, doubling down on, you know, catching fraudsters and all that. President Biden did during the State of the Union. And given that Julie Sue oversaw such a debacle in California, I wonder if that's going to affect her chances of getting Marty Walsh's job. They it's probably won't connect the dots. When, but. Well, they didn't connect the dots when they when they the Senate confirmed her during a hearing. I think it was in July uh, of 2021 on all of those issues that were brought up. And Julie Sue, like Lorena Gonzalez, guess who she blamed for all the fraud? She blamed independent contractors for needing PUA because she said that that the system wasn't set up in California to you know, address fraud under uh, applications for pandemic unemployment assistance. Meanwhile, other states were doing just fine implementing it, you know, and the, the, the mistake the feds made, I feel, was to put states in charge of these, of the, uh, the PUA benefits distribution because in California it was just a complete mess. And, of course, they would blame independent contractors, you know, I mean, it was just, she said it out loud in their Senate confirmation hearing. I I, uh, I watched it live, and, of course, she tweeted about it, too. Hmm. Um, you're mentioning that you've got, was it hundreds or thousands of, of uh, independent contractors there in California that have been affected by this. Where does AB5 stand now with all the exemptions? Is it? Like, well, is there enough that have been exempted that they're starting to earn their livings again? Or, Well, uh, I'll circle back to that in a second, but I wanted to mention that uh, speaking of exemptions, people in call centers are not exempt. And so during the pandemic, when, they were, when the EDD's call centers were flooded, the EDD actually hired independent contractors from inside California and outside the state to man the call centers in violation of their own law. That's amazing. I have not heard that. Yep. We and that was under, under Julie Sue, right? Deloitte, a, a company named Deloitte and, and time. And of course the embarrassment of that, they, they had to try to backtrack and, and blah, blah, blah. But I had members of my group that were, were, were signing up for, to become, uh, call center operators for EDD because they needed a job. And then when they found, found out that they were hiring them as independent contractors, all hell broke loose, you know. It was just crazy. There were many articles written about that as well, and that was under Julie Sue as well. But as far as where AB5 stands today, it's alive and well and harming all sorts of people. All, uh, I mean, there was an article yesterday about a, a community theater in Sebastopol that's having to close after 
you know, many years in the community because they cannot meet the uh, requirements of AB5. It's just not possible for these theaters to operate under this very draconian law that forces everybody to be an employee, including somebody you would bring on for an hour or for two hours or for five hours. Hmm. You know, so they just can't put everybody on payroll. But AB5 right now, uh, the truckers is probably the last thing that you heard about. Um, they had had a preliminary injunction against the enforcement of AB5 from the very beginning of when uh, in 2020. So they, uh, the independent owner-operator truckers, have been had been operating uh, legally as independent contractors all this time until you know all of the litigation came to a dead end. But the Supreme Court did decline to hear their their appeal, and so AB5 yeah. went, finally went into effect on truckers last last year and and of course i'm sure you heard about all the protests at the various yeah, they, ports in los they shut the ports oakland. down in uh, oakland if i recall for about a week yeah but the, another group is coming in and they're they're asking for another injunction from the same judge that um issued the in, injunction um uh back in 2020 so it's kind of up in the air but there's 70,000 independent owner operator truckers that can be affected by AB5, forcing them to be employees. They don't want to be employees. They run their own business. Right. I just saw something, I think it was within the last week, of a uh, trucker who had, she was on uh, Varney and Company or something like that on Fox. She had moved her business out of California and just so she could, you know, pay her bills. And, you know, of course, her family is still in California, her kids and so on. But, you know, she's got grown kids. But, you know, she had to up and relocate just to keep her business. Well, it's those kinds of stories that kind of keep AB5 in the news. But unfortunately, even our allies in the media who, who you know, um, oppose AB5, they don't have their facts straight on the exemptions. It, they, they make it sound like, you know, at most people are exempt now and um you know it really only applies to ride share and truckers or whatever and it's just not true it's not true at all you have like i said i have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of um horror stories of people across the vast swath of professions who've lost their careers and you know everybody from architectural designers to forensic nurses to um translators, court reporters, um, you name it, anybody and everybody. Are you keeping up with, and this goes back to Julie Sue at the DOL, are you keeping up with the um, six-factor independent contractor rules that they're trying to come up with? Yes, I am. I've written several op-eds about that, and it's um, it's a wolf in sheep's clothing where they um, they, they come out and lament the fact that they can't impose California's ABC test, but they come very, very close to mim- mimicking the language anyways. And so there's just tons of information about how, um, you know, and legal analysis about how that that rule will, will um, just be a death knell for so many independent contractors and businesses who rely on independent contracting industries and sectors. Yeah, it seems as though... Um... So the the petri dish of California that um, 
has imposed the bad idea of ABC test or AB5 is moving to the national level, and it may it may be a slightly watered down version, but it's still under Julie Sue. Um, and as and if she becomes Secretary of Labor, you know, it's just going to be more high profile for her. But it seems as though they're just kind of um, trying to impose it nationally. Yes, that's they have made no secret about that. In fact, when Biden was running for president, he said he wanted that California's ABC test to be inserted in in uh, labor law and unemployment law and tax and everything, you know, across the board. They don't make any secret about the fact that they love the California's ABC test. Um, but they've also they also know that there's been a that a disaster took place in California, so they want to avoid that. You know, so, uh, you know, how, I, I don't know, maybe they think maybe enough time will pass that people will forget about it or that, you know, California solved the problem with the exemptions or whatever. I don't know what their thinking is, but we always have to be vigilant because they try to insert it into uh, federal law, into the Fair Labor Standards Act or the National Labor Relations Act or or, you know, in various states, you have to keep be on the lookout for these task force task forces and, you know, different different states following in the footsteps of of California, which is complete insanity, obviously. But but they're they're at it. They're they're relentless. They just are relentless. Yeah, I need to uh, check back and with our mutual acquaintance, Kim Cavan, because I think they're trying to do it in New Jersey again. And I just heard on Monday that they may be doing it in New York as well. So. Yes. Uh, what, what other state did I hear about? There's several different ones that we have to keep an eye on, you know, um, Pennsylvania, I think is one oh, of them. That makes sense. Um, but um, yeah, we have to remain vigilant because there's these, it's like a invasive species. It's, it starts to spread, you know, it's, it's like a melanoma, you know, and once it right. takes foot, once it has a foothold in federal law, then there's no stopping it. You know, well, I think this, this and that's rulemaking is very, uh, it's imperative. Um, in, in fact, it'll probably end up in, in the courts, you know, if, if they impose the rule and it sounds like, it was a foregone, yeah, the US DOL, it sounds like it's a foregone conclusion. They, they went through the dog and pony show with, with all their required, you know, um, public comment sessions. But as Kim will tell you, we followed it very closely and they, you know, they're, they, they don't even care what we have to say as independent contractors, they have their, their story and they're sticking to it. Well, it's amazing because in, and when I first got alerted to it, the numbers were it's about 59 million Americans that do some form of gig work or freelance work. And I, I think I saw the Upwork survey. They said up to 60 million in 2021 were doing it. Yeah, I had read that, too. I think it's even more. Yeah. You know, so and a lot of these people, they, they, they do their um, side hustles as a side hustle, you know, that maybe they might be just you know, uh, trying to supplement their social security or supplement their, their regular income with it, with just a weekend gig doing something, you know, easy, like working for a special events company, putting on a running event or, or, you know, rideshare even, you know, driving, delivery driving, um, DoorDash, that kind of thing. Let me, 
part-time or maybe even I, I, the averages are just like me 10 hour 10 hours a week if that for some of these rideshare drivers right or a freelance writer you may only write an article here or there right exactly and, and again it goes to the fact that if it goes to a federal law like the pro acts that president biden was talking about last night there's no exemptions built into that law so yeah. it's opposed to going 35 articles to 50 or whatever they did with the um remodeling of the AB5 it's you're you're going to be shut out well they claim they claim that oh this isn't really the ABC test it's it's actually you know um allowing people uh, with a pro act provision it it's uh allowing independent contractors to collectively bargain or whatever and it won't you won't lose your your client or blah 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 but it's all spoken mirrors that well that's not in the in the bill at all yeah, it's it's clearly the ABC test. Correct. Correct. Let me let me ask you somewhat of a loaded question. Um, and if I recall, I think I'm accurate on this. So if Marty Walsh leaves and and they go to nominate whether it's Julie Sue or somebody else, but let's assume it's Julie Sue to be the next Department of Labor secretary, she is gonna have to go through a Senate confirmation process again, right? You I'm just don't sure. get promoted to a cabinet level. That's so. I, I thought maybe she automatically got promoted uh, to lead the agency or the department. I'm not sure that she has to have another confirmation hearing or not. So that's a question I can't answer. I don't know. Well, I guess so. Part of my question to that is I think she does, but I'm not positive. Um, and the question would be, would it be advisable for people, gig workers, to write their senators? Not that it would affect anybody's vote in California. You have two senators there that probably wouldn't change their minds. Yes, I think any time you expose somebody for their 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 true uh, motives and their 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 history and and first of all their failures in California, I mean, it helps to elevate the issue and a lot of the the. A lot of senators may not be aware of her history in California. You know, it's it it, uh, and I'm sure there'll be op eds being written about her. You know, and all there there will be. In fact, I'm I think I should probably write one myself and dredge up all the old, uh, you know, uh, failures and debacles that she oversaw, and also the fact that she's probably one of the main architects behind AB5. She was working behind the scenes. She she was a labor commissioner back from in under Jerry Brown from 2011 to 2018. And mm. then she was appointed uh to head uh uh EDD and the um Labor and Workforce Development Agency by Newsom in 2018 and that's when all the ABC tests started happening. You know, and and the AB and AB five started being crafted. So, you know, Lorena Gonzalez and her fast friends, and you know, who knows? She might recommend Lorena Gonzalez to be the next deputy secretary of labor. One never knows. That would be interesting. You know, but uh, she's um, she has a lot to answer for, and uh, she left a mess behind in a very dysfunctional. Um, department that had plenty of warning warnings from auditors long before any of the the real shit hit the fan during the pandemic and exposed that department for the antiquated dysfunctional um, agency that it is under her leadership. 
Who's in charge of it now out in California? Uh, oh, that's a good question. Department of Labor? Uh, the, I, I'm drawing a blank. Yes, we don't really hear about it now, who the no. EDD person is. Who is the head? I should know that. Um, I'll get back to you on that. That's all right. So, Karen, if people want to reach out to you, how can they reach out to you? Um, they can uh, go to Facebook, actually, uh, Freelancers Against AB5, and and check out check that out there. Um, that would be the easiest way to get a hold of me, and um, you can message message me through Facebook Messenger through through uh, Freelancers at AB5. That's probably the easiest way to get a hold of me. Okay, I'll put the link under the audio portion of this episode. I'm also a fellow with the Independent Women's Forum. So I've been doing work with them, raising the issues issues about um, independent contractors and uh, not just AB5, but um, the USDOL activities and ProAct and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, good. Yeah, we have we have a, several mutual acquaintances, actually. Yeah. yeah. I have a little blog on their site, and um, and I've also written a lot of op-eds for various um, publications, including the Orange County Register. I, I exposed Lorena Gonzalez's uh, big lie um, on um, in the in the Coast News in San Diego. You know, she she relied on false data to pass to get AB five passed in twenty nineteen and. And so I've got a kind of a little, you know, paper trail of op-eds for various, various publications out there too. Very cool. Well, Karen, thank you for coming on Labor Relations Radio. Appreciate the insights. It's going to be uh, interesting over the next month or so, if assuming that Marty Walsh leaves. So I think it's a foregone conclusions. Three million reasons for him to leave, leave at least. Well, she'll <clears throat> the spotlight will be on her because I think they're planning on um, releasing that rule, the the USDOL new rulemaking, that six factor thing that you were talking about, in fairly short order. So, if she's heading the the department, she's going to have a lot to answer for on that. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So that was Karen Anderson with Freelancers Against AB5. And I'm going to include the link to her Facebook page under the audio portion of this episode. I should mention, as we talk about Julie Sue, that uh, Marty Walsh has not yet tendered his resignation. So that is still forthcoming. It should probably come within the next few days after the hubbub about the State of the Union settles down and um, whether or not he gets the job. I assume he's going to, based on some of the media reporting. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List. If you want to reach out, you can reach out on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode or give us a call at 1-888-668-6466. Thanks for listening and have a great week. Radio. 
Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoyed Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.